Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Welcome to another episode of our Continuous Improvement for Life podcast. Today's topic is enhancing personal and organizational resiliency. Aren't you just inspired by people or organizations that no matter what happens, they keep their focus on the goal or the prize or the long-term benefit rather than succumbing to the day-to-day whims or discouragements or setbacks? That's today's topic, and that's today's discussion. I can't think of a better discussion today to talk about the resiliency, the capacity to overcome and recover. The definition of resiliency is that, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. In fact, my guest today in her book, I really enjoyed her book, defines resiliency as the power to be energized and elevated by disruption. It is the internal fortitude to emerge stronger and even more effective from tough situations. Is there not a more important topic for us to discuss today in 2020 than personally elevating our game from disruption and organizationally the same thing? So looking forward to today's discussion. We're going to add more to the discussion than just the normal overcoming setbacks. We're going to talk about with Jennifer Eggers how to be energized and elevated by disruption And we're going to use words like resiliency, intentionality, planning, purpose, alignment, and some examples on how to do that. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Okay, I've asked Jennifer Eggers of Leadership Insights to join me today to discuss this topic. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure. I've just read your book, so I'm excited. And this topic, as I've mentioned, is just... So apropos and important today, just a little bit of background about Jennifer, and then I'll I'll let her expound. Jennifer is the founder and president of Leadership Insights. Leadership Shift Insights helps leaders and organizations deal with disruptive change. She is also the author of a book called Resilience. It's not about bouncing back. That's a great title, by the way. I want to hear more about that. Jennifer, what else can you tell us about your company? Yeah, we really cut our teeth doing quite a bit of organizational restructuring, um, and but, but we have sort of a twofold focus. I mean, one was the restructuring, and uh, there's a bit less of that today, but um, still pretty active there. And then um, executive coaching and, of course, our leadership workshops on resilience, influence, and driving sustainable change. But I have to say, since COVID, you know, workshops have taken a bit of a backseat, although yeah. come January... They'll be reconfigured for virtual, but right now we're really heavily focused on our coaching practice and our executive assimilation practice, uh, which have boomed in the middle of COVID. So it's yeah. been, that's been great. I imagine. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. So you've moved to more virtual online starting in 2021? Yeah. Um, well, y- you know, you can't just take a really great in-person program and yeah. slap it on Zoom. And I think that's what a lot of we're seeing a lot of that out there, and what we're also seeing is that it's not working. And so what we did not want to do, and we're certainly getting a lot of requests for our resilience workshop now, um, but what we didn't want to do is take existing in-person content and slap it online. So instead, we're really going to reconfigure it, and it'll end up being uh, a series of 10 two-hour sessions okay. uh, to be done over you know, two months. And I, actually, I think it's eight. But um, regardless, it'll have a lot more interaction, a lot of discussion. There'll be homework in between. Um, and the feedback that with the early feedback that we're getting is that it, it's just as good, if not better, 
than um, our in-person program, but it's done a lot differently. Um, and frankly, with a fair amount less content because we just can't be as heavy on Zoom. Yeah, good for you. Uh, um, looking forward to hearing more about that. So, Jennifer, before we get talking about developing and enhancing personal and organizational resilience, do you mind, and I've, I, as I mentioned to you as we went on air, um, I've read your book, and I love it when an author or a consultant has actually had personal experience with the material. Uh, would you mind sharing some of your personal experiences <laughs> in developing and enhancing resilience? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting. About 10 or 12 years ago, I, I went out and I asked 10 people who know me really well, what was the story that only I could tell? Mm -hmm. um, and to a person, they came back and they said, Jennifer, you're nothing if not resilient. And so, you know, Good. looking back, uh, I, so I was a competitive water skier for 10 years. Um, after, you know, after 10 years of, of, of being a nationally ranked skier, and, you know, it was pretty much my life, um, found out I could no longer do cardio. So it's a, a bit of a longer story than that, but the shock, um, you know, of, of just the very thing that you sort of defined by, yeah. you know, suddenly goes away, I think was one of the first things. And then, you know, I've started two businesses in a recession uh, when 2009 happened, I mean, went completely belly up. Um, and, and so, you know, the question I, I had to ask is that, why did I bounce back, if you will, I don't love that word, as you might imagine, but why did I come back when others that have been through a lot less, you know, really couldn't? And so I started researching it and I started to figure out, you know, a couple of things. And the first is that there's two ways to build resilience. I mean, you know, one is you go through a lot of tough stuff and you get the battle scars to prove it, but you toughen up and, and you, you get stronger. Um, but the other way is you can actually prepare and you can learn it. And so I traced back, um, and this is maybe the most, or, or one of the most exciting things, is that th there were some very specific things that I did intentionally before I was ever knocked down that made me resilient. And those things can be replicated. And so then even more exciting than that was I found out that the characteristics of resilient people are this exact same characteristics for resilient organizations. And so, you know, given my corporate background and all the, my time spent, you know, in corporate America, it was really exciting to me that I could take what I learned, translate it to change individual lives, and then exponentially multiply it out to organizations. Um, and that's where really, the, I think, the, the real power in this lies. Um, you know, there are a million people that can write a book about being knocked down and, you know, there are cancer survivors, there are people that are hit yeah. by trucks, there are, you know, there are lots of discussions out there about resilience, but there are actually very few that are talking about how do we build resilient organizations. And so that was really what was exciting to me. Yeah, because a lot of us don't want to go through all those experiences necessarily oh. to toughen up. So if we can prepare and learn it, um, in preparation maybe for some of the tough times, both personally and organizationally. That's exciting, and, and I know you've tried to capture that in your book as well. So just yeah. before we jump into how-to, why don't we spend a minute on some, and maybe it's fairly obvious here in 2020, but why do you think it's so important to build resiliency in, in both us as individuals and in organizations today? Yeah, there's, a, there's actually a pretty simple answer to that, and you, you know, you're seeing a lot of current events right now that – um, are making people talk more about resilience. I mean, when we started down this journey, there there wasn't any. When we used to say resilience is the most important skill for leaders today, and no one's talking about it, um, I can't use that tagline yeah. today because <laughs> of you know the last year that we've had. But what I would say is that you know, I also subscribe to the notion of adaptive leadership, which is a 
a concept coming out of Harvard that that is brilliant. And what it basically says is that challenges that we face in business are more complex today than they yes. were even two years ago. And, you know, the thing is, people with the access to information combined with the pace of change, challenges have more moving parts. They require more involvement from different types of people. Um, people are more informed and they expect to be inv involved. But I think more than anything, these types of challenges are not the kinds of challenges where a leader can just come up with the answer and say, go do this. Like we were all taught in MBA school, you know, this hierarchical style of leadership. It doesn't work when you need to mobilize people when the right answer might come from anywhere, because these challenges are, are things that we've never seen before. And so leading in that environment with these complex adaptive challenges means that leadership is hard. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not that you're going to get, it's not if you're going to get beat up, it's when. Because at the, at the end of the day, leadership in the, when you're leading in these adaptive challenges, it really is about disappointing people at a pace they can, they can handle. And so you're almost the one with the target on your head when you're the one trying to mobilize people and corral everybody, you know, to come up with a solution that you don't have. And so leaders increasingly need to be more and more resilient in those, in those types of situations. I really like those ideas. And they, I mean, with the amount of change today, the, the importance of being adaptive. I mean, we used to say that, you know, if you're good with a hammer, everything is a nail. But <laughs> today we have nails and screws of every different size and we need to be adaptive. Yeah. And as you've mentioned, engaging the workforce in order to respond to the challenges. So let's jump in, Jennifer, and talk a little bit about how to. And you want to start maybe with uh, some how-tos on enhancing personal resilience. Yeah, sure. Well, ironically, um, individuals and organizations really build resilience the same way. Okay. So the, the framework that we lay out in the book, now we might use different language for an individual, you know, than we do in an organization, but, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. But, you know, essentially resilience is a function of, of three, three main things and a couple of sub things, right? So resilience is a function of the mindset and the choices that you make. Okay. And underlying those two things are a set of core beliefs. And so mindset is made up of attitude and how authentic you are. And your choices are a function of your purpose and how clear you are on that and your definition of success. The core beliefs that underlie that are about what you know to be true in the world around you. It's not, a, it's not so much a, a belief or a think. These are the rock kind of things that you can stand on. Um, when things get tough. So as we think about building resilience, it's really about building the components of the framework. So the first step is to really get clear on what are your core beliefs? What do you believe about the world? In an individual sense, some might call that faith. In an organizational sense, we might say, what's our mission or what are our values or what's our purpose? Um, either way, those are things that it's it's really important for us to figure out what those are, so that when we need to stand up, we have something to stand on. Then the next piece, and we use this framework like a checklist. Okay. So, you know, the, when I think about authenticity, it's a lot about are you projecting to the world um, who you really are? So is the image you project really who you are? And so there's this whole, and the, the book goes into a lot more detail about this, but 
this notion of understanding who we are and self-awareness and understanding our filters allow us in the moment to to be that person that we say we are, right? Every situation, this gets a little soft and fuzzy, but every situation is a chance to be who we really are. So this notion of being authentic is how is is one way um, to build resilience because when we're not authentic, it takes all kinds of discretionary energy to manage that image that we're projecting. So resilience requires every bit of discretionary energy we have. So this whole notion of building resilience is about intentionally planning mm. and figuring these things out so that when we need that discretionary energy in the moment, it's there. So this notion of authenticity, the notion of, of um, attitude, how do we make sure that we're going into every one of these tough situations or this disruption that happens with the right attitude? And, and right is very subjective. Um, and everyone's got filters based on, you know, their experiences and beliefs and their mindsets and, you know, the way they were raised and all that. And sometimes those serve us well. I mean, most of the time they're designed to protect us, but they don't always. Um, they're not always the most effective filters. So getting clear on what our mindset needs to be and choosing the filters that are important to us um, that are going to give us an effective outcome is a real skill that people can build. Yes. Um, you don't build it in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the emotion. Nope. I mean, these are things you have to think about ahead of time. Just like if I flip to the other side of the framework, knowing your purpose um, and your definition of success. Now, purpose can be the grand purpose of why you're on the earth, or purpose can be I'm going into a meeting and I need a certain outcome. Yeah. Um, and so I, I recommend that people think of purpose in terms of, What's my purpose in a situation? Although it's certainly nice to have a broader one. Um, you can be resilient by just thinking through what's your purpose in a situation before you go into that situation. You'll be a lot more likely to get the outcome you're looking for. And then how you define success is another thing that just takes time to build. It takes some intentional thought. The book will tell you how. But it's one of those things that when you are in a crisis or disruption hits or you're in you know, a difficult conversation, if your definition of success is so ingrained in you, you're going to default to that. And yes. you're going to be successful e as you define it, even in a situation that maybe doesn't go your way. Yeah. Well said, Jennifer. I love your thoughts there on mindset. In fact, uh, in this podcast, uh, many times on change, and I think this language is very consistent with what you're teaching us is Change is really a function of three things, mindset, the right skill set, and the right tool set. And if you can get those yeah. three things going in a, as individuals or organizations, we can learn any skill. And I love that you're trying to teach us about resilience. So as you know, uh, I just uh, also put, published a book on purpose. And so tell me more about why purpose is so important. It sounds like it's a it's kind of a compass, if you will, to, to making those decisions in the heat of the moment to be more resilient. But can you add more meat on that bone? Yeah, I think uh, the compass analogy is a great one. I think I think in the book we use a, a GPS analogy as okay. well, which is kind of similar, right? It's, yep. it's the uh, this notion of if you go into a situation, so gosh, there's so much I could say here. Um, <laughs> there's just so many things. If you go into a situation and you know going in what your purpose is going to be coming out, it's going to change the way that you handle that situation. So for example, 
you know, if I if I'm a new boss and you know I've got an employee that is chronically late, you know, kind of silly example, but let's just say, yeah, um, you know, I, my purpose could be I want to send an example, and I don't ever want to have another late employee. So I'm going to go in here. I'm going to put the hammer down. I'm going to give them a hard time. I'm going to do it in front of the team. And I'm going to I'm going to make an example so that nobody ever comes in late again. Right. I That could be my purpose. Right. But let's just say my purpose is to build a relationship with the team and show that the boss will work with you and the boss cares. Right. Totally different purpose. Right. You think it's going to change the way I handle that meeting? Yeah, absolutely. I might go in there and say, hey, you know, let's talk about. You know, is there a problem in the morning? Why are you late? What's going on? Maybe I find out that the person has, you know, a childcare um, situation that he has to drop the kid off at eight o'clock and that that's the time he starts. But, you know, then I know he's never going to be here at eight o'clock and there's really not a whole lot I can do about it. So we go, okay, well, let's have somebody cover for you at 730 and, you know, you stay late or whatever. And then and then I've sent a totally different message to the team. So just by thinking through the purpose can really change the way we interact with others. Yes. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another thing, because this is in the book, too. We we hear a lot about comfort zone these days, right? Okay. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. Well, there there's one there's only one way I know of to get out of your comfort zone, you know, on the top end, right? The end where where you would exceed your um, your objectives, right? We can get out of our comfort zone on the bottom if we, um, you know, we slack off and eventually, um, you know, we're comfortable, but we haven't, we haven't accomplished we haven't anything. Accomplished any, but yeah. really breaking free of our comfort zone and achieving our wildest aspirations. The only thing that's going to get you uncomfortable enough to do that is knowing why, knowing mm. your purpose, knowing clinging desperately to that purpose will get you out of your comfort zone. And it is the only thing I know of that will. So I think as we think about being resilient, purpose is just a critical component. And that's why I can't re- wait to read the rest of your book. I started at the end, like I told you, yeah. and um, I really can't wait to read the rest because I think it's just so core to what we do. Well, and I love that you're breaking it down into macro, big life purpose versus in the moment, that day, that meeting, what's my purpose? And I think you're touching on a key point that I really like, and that is I, I use my purpose to determine how I want to deal with my employee that's late and the values that I, you know, because you could fly off the handle and this is really ruining the productivity or effectiveness at work or the team now. No one will show up for, you know, you could go down that path or how do you want to deal with this confrontation or this issue based on your values and purpose. And, and that's the importance of, you know, drawing into the macro purpose when you're in a kind of a mini moment or that big decision that day. So thank you for drawing out those points on purpose. What, what uh, examples could you share with us, either personally or organizationally, where this idea of mindset and purpose, and I know you're going to talk about alignment as well later on, but have you got yeah. examples that uh, you can share with us on how this helps either personally or organizationally? Sure. Let me give you one um, for definition of success, because this is one that okay. I think is maybe a little bit harder to quantify. And, you know, it took me days to come up with what that was for me, kind of in a guided experience. So I, building a definition of success is, is no real easy fact, e- you know, easy thing to do. But um, what I think crept up on me in a way that I least expected it 
um, several years ago, I picked up uh, my Honda Pilot from the dealer, and the dealer, unbeknownst to me, had spilled uh, transmission fluid on the exhaust manifold, and I was about five minutes away from the dealership when the car burst into fire. And so I had flames coming out the dashboard. I had flames, you know, coming up around my feet and I was in traffic. So I, you know, I pulled, I pulled into, um, my heart pounds as I tell the story. Yeah. I pulled into, uh, it's going again. uh, Flashbacks every time, but I pulled into a, another car dealer, ironically, and parked the car. And I, I literally dove out of my, funny, my foot was in a boot. I just had foot surgery, so I couldn't really walk. So I threw my computer out of the car and I, and I threw myself out of the car, um, to get away from the flames. And, you know, as I stood there in the parking lot, watching the car burn, um, first of all, I was furious. Um, I had just packed the car. I was going away for a month. So I had a month of stuff in the car that was coming with me. Um, and I had a client meeting in about an hour. And so there I was, you know, maximized burn, um, in the, in the parking lot and the, the Honda dealer sent, you know, they eventually sent the service manager over from the Honda dealer and, you know, he got there and we had this series of events where, you know, I'm talking to him and then we had to go back to the dealership and, you know, figure out what's going on. And I was highly traumatized by this incident. I mean, it was, it was a, a, a real serious thing that I had to process and it, it, tied me up in ways that I never would have imagined. Um, And so what was interesting is I went to a trauma therapist about a month later because I was having a really hard time getting past it. And she said to me, well, what did you do? Like, put yourself in the moments after the accident. What did you do? And I said, well, um," she said, did you yell at the guy? And I said, no. I said, he looked, I looked at him and I said, what what do we do now? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. And I said, I, he said, what about um, Avis? And I said, well, that's a good start. So he took me to Avis. He got me a car. I went back to talk to the general manager. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. Um, my attorney wanted to own the car dealership and thought that I really could make a pretty strong case for that. Um, but, you know, that's not my primary business. So I didn't want to own a car dealership. But what I what I did in the wake of this whole thing was that I I didn't raise my voice to anyone. There was no one I was not nice to. I did everything I possibly could to control the situation on my terms. I went, I immediately replaced everything that was in the car. Um, You know, I took some very specific actions. And so the therapist said to me, Jennifer, normal people don't act like that. She said, why did you take the actions you took? And I thought back and in some, some subconscious part of me, I remembered that my definition of success is that included, you know, a line that says happening to life with vigor instead of being happened to. And so to me, it was about me controlling this, not being a victim of it. It was about, you know, being um, the person that I wanted to be, which wasn't a raving, flaming lunatic. Um, It was making really clear choices about how do I want to spend the next six months? Do I want to spend it in court fighting or do I want to just move on with my life and focus on my business, which is what I did. So what it pointed out to me, and it was probably a long story, but what it pointed out to me was that if your definition of success is so ingrained in you and you have that memorized, it's in your subconscious, when you need it, it's there. Yes. You will be that person you want to be in the moment and you'll, you'll fall back on it without even knowing it. And that's exactly what happened. That is a great story of defining, you call it definition of success. I'd call it macro purpose with values. 
and then responding based on those values versus, as you say, a raving lunatic. So can you tell me anything more about this lovely line you just threw out there, happening to life with vigor? <laughs> what does that what does that mean? Where does that come from? That's a, that's a great line. Well, there, I went through a program, and this, was, this is in the, in the book, um, how, to, how to build this kind of definition of success is in the book, but I went through a program early back in, I think, 97, um, where you know, someone sat me down and said, we're going to build this definition of success. And we spent three or four days really focused on going back into your past and saying, what are the, what are the um, experiences that made you come alive? What are the experiences where you maybe you got into trouble? Who are people that you admire and why? Like there are all of these questions yes. that kind of played into it, and it it resulted in a really beautiful, you know, sort of semantic, um, semantically correct definition of success. And so, you know, to me, success is from the heart with the strength to be true. So that means true to myself, mm -hmm. um, impacting life with vigor instead of being happened to, uh, connecting with others while standing on my own and relishing um, the sweet significance that comes with objective and well-rounded competence. But to me, I mean, I, it's hard to explain all of that, but every yeah. single one of those words means something to you so much. It means yep. it, like there's a whole, probably a chapter packed into that. Um, and every one of those words means something about who I want to be on my best day. Yes. So, yeah. I, oh, um, Jennifer, you, you are speaking. My, I can hardly wait till you read chapter four of my book. Because uh, <laughs> that is exactly so, yeah. the process. You know, so many authors uh, and meaning and, and purpose has got so much, as you've talked about, uh, recognition today, even by a lot of Harvard Business Review articles about how important it is for individuals and organizations. But very few teach how to do it. And so in Chapter 4, I go through seven questions that should take you seven hours over seven days. I call it triple seven. But it's wow. exactly those type of questions, you know, including... How do you want to be remembered at your funeral? What are your characteristics of your best self? What would what would your friends and family and supportive group say are your strengths and characteristics? All those questions that then culminate to articulate those yeah. 50 words that you just and and every one of those words have deep meaning to you and you can make daily or yearly decisions based on that success statement or that purpose statement. So well done. I love awesome. it. Awesome. Um so let's talk about organization in the few minutes we have left here. Let's focus on organizational resilience. How do you develop it? And have you got some examples? For sure. So, you know, the framework is exactly the same for organizations. Okay. We just, like I said, we just talk about things differently. So you may talk about, um, you know, your, your definition of success personally, but that may be your mission, your vision, or your objectives or something, you know, organizationally, mm -hmm. they have, we call artifacts, you know, by different names, but the real, the real catch for organizations is that there's one more component that has to happen um, in order to build organizational resilience, and that is alignment. Mm -hmm. And the reason is you have more people in an organization, so going off in a closet by yourself and building your uh, resilience framework, it, it doesn't work by yourself, right? Organizations are made up of, of many people, so we have to get aligned around what that uh, framework looks like for the organization. And so, what, you know, in my experience, when organizations come together and do this work, um, it's time consuming. It is, um, you know, it's one of those things they really have to focus on. It's about being intentional. But what it does is it creates an insurance policy that when disruption happens, people are on the same page. They jump into action. 
they do what you know the boss would do when he when he's even when he's not in the room uh, because everybody is aligned and everyone's going in the same direction. So there's there's no wasted motion um, when this when we have this kind of alignment on the resilience framework. So on our mindset, on our what it means to be authentic, on how we make decisions that way, um, our purpose and our and our the way we define success, and frankly our core beliefs, which are very valid in an organizational level as well. But I, let me tell you about a company. Um, so there's an auto parts company that I work for that I think embodies this notion of resilience. And so, sure. um, you know, the, the, the scene opens with, uh, it, was, it was 2002, and the head of new stores um, figured out around about July that he had a goal to, to meet of 333 new stores uh, open that year, and he was only going to make about 250. Now, those of you that know retail, right, you know that new stores, shiny new stores um, generate a lift. And so retail organizations rely on new store openings um, to get some lift every year. And so not meeting the new store opening goal is is really a bad thing uh, for a retail company. But, you know, by hook or by crook, it wasn't going to happen. So, you know, you can imagine the conversation at the leadership team when he made this announcement. Um and the interesting thing is, I, I can imagine what I thought that conversation was going to be. I never could have dreamed that it would have gone the way it did, right? You would expect some finger pointing and some blame and, and you know, right. some some people slamming out of the room. And, you know, because what this means is that they're not going to meet their numbers. Um, and, and in a retail company, that affects everybody's bonus. It's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, but what really happened in this particular company is that, Every, nobody really said a word at first. They all started thinking. And the meeting ended without a whole lot of fanfare. But what happened in the wake of that meeting was that the um, HR guy went and figured out how to get people in the stores trained up faster. The merchandising guy, you know, he went back to merchandising and they figured out how to go to some vendors and get some deals and negotiate a little bit, um, you know, tighter contracts and get some promotions going. The supply chain guy, you know, he went back and figured out how to fill the SKUs in the field faster and get some things to the, the stores that needed them quicker. The the finance guy, they already had metrics in finance, um, you know, but they, they started measuring some things on a more frequent basis. Every single executive, I'm sales, sales went out and ran new promotions. They gave some incentives. Every single executive went and knew exactly what to do. They went back to their corner. They knew exactly what to do. And by the end of the year, they had covered the gap. And nobody, there was no blame. There was no finger pointing. Mm. There was no, you know, you should have done this or you should have done that. It was everybody came together without any discussion. And they covered the gap. And in 2002, bonuses paid out that year at 100%. To every single employee in the company, from the CEO to the to the part specialist in the field, I've never seen anything like that. Great example. So, Jennifer, I love your passion. Tell me why. How, how did that happen? Was was it because there was a no blame culture? Was it because they had aligned incentives? Was it what? Why did that success story happen? It happened because they knew exactly what their purpose was. Everybody there knew exactly what to do when that crisis happened. Um, And they were all incented. Incentive is a big part, so I'm glad you brought that up. Every single person in that organization was incented on the same two metrics. 
They were incented on EBITDA and ROIC. So cost and expense or revenue and cost, essentially. Um, and so no, there was no question yeah. about what the what two metrics were most important. What do we need to go do? We need to increase revenue. We need to cut costs. They went out and they just did it. And the problem here was it was a revenue issue. It wasn't so much a cost issue. So everybody, I remember I was in HR at the time. I remember we brainstormed um, revenue increase ideas that got implemented in the stores. I mean, just think, nobody comes to HR and says, hey, how do I increase revenue in the store? Good for but you guys. that's exactly what they did. I mean, yeah. every single person was coming up with ideas and thinking of things to do. And we all knew exactly what the end goal was because that work was all done ahead of time. Yeah. So I like to think of resilience as a bit of an insurance policy that you build ahead of time so that when disruption hits, um, there's no wasted energy whatsoever. I think resilience is what it's kind of like a gas tank, right? You fill the tank when you have the time and when you're able to so that when you need it, you've got that discretion, discretionary energy that's there. Um you know, I remember many of us worked overtime and scrambled during that time period, but we were excited because the last time it happened, you know, heroes were made. So that company, as a result of that experience, got better. AutoZone grew as a result of that. They didn't shrink. They did really, really well, and they continue to do well because that's the culture they've built. Inspiring story, Jennifer. Awesome example of aligned goals to build resilience. And I like the gas tank analogy as well. So Jennifer, I've really enjoyed the discussion today. Any last piece, word of advice to those trying to build and enhance resiliency? Oh man, you know, just from a where to start standpoint, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things we can do to build resilience, but I would say, you know, I always go back to, it's difficult to stand up when you don't know what you're standing on. So figure out, you know, start thinking through core beliefs. If you don't know what those are for you, if you don't know what is absolutely true for you, figure that out. Cause that's the most, that's the number one most critical thing you can do. And those are squishy, big questions that take time. So there's no time like the present to start now. Yeah. The soft stuff is the hard stuff. So start it now. Well said, Jennifer. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing your vision on the importance of resiliency and grit, determination to respond in a way when when uh, disruption does happen um if people want to get a hold of you where can they get a hold of you jennifer yeah um so for sure our website at www.leadershiftinsights.com um l-e-a-d-e-r-s-h-i-f as in frank t as in tom the word insights is i-n-s-i-g-h-t-s.com um or you can email me um at jeggers at leadershiftinsights.com. I'd be more than happy to continue the conversation with any of your listeners. And um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's fantastic to meet a kindred spirit that's doing similar work. <laughs> Jennifer, awesome discussion. Really appreciate it. Great to get to know you and, and have a great day. Appreciate her insights. And she's giving you her information if you need more information from her. Also, it ties so nicely into what we've been talking about around purpose and the importance of having purpose, both macro purpose and uh, each day purpose in our lives. Um, As a reminder, you can go on to my book, uh, Live Your Purpose. Uh, Find it on Amazon or on my website, www.ciforlife.org. And uh, in chapter four in particular helps you, we'll call it the triple seven process, 
takes it's seven questions, thoughtful questions with answers, a workbook answers uh, are space available. And you can uh, work through the process of uh, over seven days of a- asking those seven questions and coming up with your own purpose statement to drive, to identify those values you need to drive and build resiliency. So great insights today. Appreciate you listening. Um, this has been another Continuous Improvement for Life podcast with Rick Highland. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with me today. Hope that you can apply and encourage you to apply these principles into your life and in your business, no matter the size or no matter your position. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye. Goodbye.